This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Hi, this is Eric Rawls of Cosmoverse.com, and you're listening to Rob McConnell in the X-Zone. Hi, this is Blade Runner, and you are listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, I'm Laura Sabrin of Cease to Fields Organic Vineyards in Jordan, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, my name is Lady Ashley, the White Witch of Niagara-on-the-Lake, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal talk radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Hi, this is Ken Elliott. When I'm floating around the universe, I wish... Yes, that's fine, sir. Good evening, one and all. Welcome to the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and around the world on the Exxon Broadcast Network and Starcom Radio Network. Worldwide toll-free, 800-610-7035. My email address is exxon at exxonradiotv.com. On all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV, and you can listen to the Exxon 724-365 at www.exxonradiotv.com. Now, if you're out in your car, if you're out on the beach, if you're just hanging around and you don't have access to your computer, but you do have your cell phone, you can call in and listen to the show as well at 213-401-0080. Today is Thursday, May the 28th, and... Um, You know, June 26th is coming up very fast. June 26th, June 27th, June 28th is when the Alien Cosmic Expo is going to be happening in Brantford, Ontario. Now, there are going to be great people there. The who's who in ufology, dowsing, crop circles, and much more. For more information on the Alien Cosmic Expo, www.aliencosmosexpo.com. My guest this uh, hour of tonight's show is going to be one of the speakers. Don Dondiri is going to be talking about UFOs, ETs, and alien abductions. He's a retired Montreal psychology professor. Uh, he is convinced extraterrestrial life exists. The educator, who has spent 47 years at McGill University, including in a, as associate dean of the Faculty of Graduate Studies and Researchers, applies his insights into psychology in a book, entitled UFOs, ETs, and Alien Abductions. A scientist looks at the evidence. Joining me now from the beautiful city of Montreal is Don, Don Dury. And Don, welcome back to the X-Zone. Thank you very much for inviting me again. Uh, Don, since you and I last talked, has there been any more significant findings when it comes to the UFO, alien, ET abduction scenario? 
I'd say more of the same, Rob, really, because yeah. the evidence continues to accumulate, and most of it is by now conventional in our field. That is not conventional to people who don't take it seriously, but there are many sightings of what are called nocturnal lights, many uh, what you might call close encounters of the second kind, where there's additional evidence, including photographs or radar traces. Mm -hmm. It continues. It's not unusual. There's nothing that's novel in the last, say, six months that I'm aware of, but the evidence continues to accumulate and continues to make the strong case that some of what people report as UFOs are extraterrestrial vehicles, which I have no effective doubt. Let me ask you this, Don. You know, you're, you're a very highly acclaimed professor. You've taught at McGill University in Montreal. Why do you believe that UFOs are real? Why do you believe that ETs are real? And why do you be, believe that people are being abducted? Well, because there's evidence for each one of those points. The UFO evidence, mm -hmm. that is, the evidence that some of what people report as UFOs are extraterrestrial vehicles, began to accumulate in the modern world after the Second World War. It started shortly after the war, continued with a prominent sighting in 1947 by an American private pilot named Kenneth Arnold, and since then, in the midst of incessant controversy about whether the evidence stands on its own merits or not, over 65 years of accumulated evidence makes it clear that some of what people report as UFOs are extraterrestrial vehicles because the sightings and the evidence cannot be explained in any other way. They are not misperceptions of what people think they see in the sky, but mm -hmm. misperceive and misreport. The reason I know that is that I've read the evidence and I'm an expert in the field. My research field is visual perception and human memory, both of which are germane to figuring out whether what somebody tells you is reliable or not. The second thing is that there's evidence from, again, eyewitness reports of occupants in and near landed UFOs or hovering UFOs or what have you, all of which, again, could be creations of fantasy if it weren't for the fact that the evidence is consistent, repeated by many people not in contact with each other, and it provides a consistent experience, a, a consistent picture of human experience. Finally, that some of these ET crews pick up and release humans to study them is based on the same kind of evidence, repeated common accounts of, first of all, close encounters, where somebody sees a UFO at a couple of hundred meters distance, loses all track of time for the next hour, hour and a half, and then later on re-experiences one way or another through flashbacks, dreams, or sometimes aided recall the nature of the experience, which turns out to be being uh, moved aboard a UFO, subject to some kinds of investigative procedures, and then returned to Earth. Apparently, not much the worse for wear, but with permanent long-term effects that don't involve crippling illnesses or, uh, or physical damage. Those facts, as I'm willing to call them, mm -hmm. have been established for about 65 years. And in my opinion, the first of those facts is established beyond reasonable doubt, which is what will get you convicted in a court of a crime. The other two facts, the facts that I report, that is some UFOs have occupants, and some of those occupants catch and release us, those facts are certainly established on the balance of probability, 
which will win you a case in civil court if you're mm-hmm. suing your landlord for a defaulty step or something like that. I think, in fact, the evidence is stronger than that, but that's what I say for the record. So all of that evidence, which obviously can't summarize in a short interview broadcast, sure. is solid, has been accumulating for years, is reported by reliable people, from reliable people, and despite what government officials do or don't say, goes without saying, as far as I'm concerned. And there's another saying that I might put to you and your audience by a very famous English man of letters named Samuel Johnson, who said this years ago. Human experience, which is constantly contradicting theory, is the great test of truth. Now, no human scientist or group of scientists has a theory to explain how UFOs get here, uh, how they maneuver in our atmosphere or out of it, and how the ETs on board do the things they do. That doesn't mean the facts aren't correct. It means we don't scientifically understand them, and that's a big difference. If that, if this is the, the fact, and, and Don, I have no reason to doubt anything you're saying, why are there not more members of the scientific community and academia who are taking this subject more seriously instead of saying, oh, swamp gas, oh, it's, a, it's in the, all in their imaginations, oh, sleep paralysis. Why aren't more people You're taking feeding this me seriously? Softballs. <laughs> I'm sorry? The reason I say that is that this is something that I've taken up in the book I wrote, and it's quite understood, not by every academic scientist, not by journeyman scientists, people who are busy with their trade, but by philosophers of science and psychologists who studied this. The answer is simple. First of all, modern science is theory-driven and it's grant-driven. Now, you know what a research grant is. It's something that, as a university professor, and in the sciences, you're bound to seek out from the Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council in Canada or its equivalent organization in the States or wherever else you are. You have to satisfy your peers, that is, other scientists in the same trade, that what you're doing has some chance of advancing knowledge. How do you do that? By either proposing a new theory that complements or adds to or corrects in some way an existing theory, or by proposing a series of experiments that will test an existing theory. What's the context for this? The context is existing or proposed theory. It's been well established by a famous philosopher of science named Thomas Kuhn, who wrote in a book published in 1962 called The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, that in the absence of a theory, evidence is meaningless in science. So you can present a scientist, a psychologist, or a physicist, or a chemist, or a biologist, with all the evidence you like about landed extraterrestrials, about... Uh, UFOs captured on video cameras, Mm -hmm. corroborated by photographs, you name it. All of this evidence is outside of science because, um, because human contemporary science has no theory to explain it. Evidence without theory is not evidence in science and is interesting only to the rare scientist who takes what I just quoted from Samuel Johnson seriously, Mm -hmm. namely human experience which is constantly contradicting theory, is the great test of truth. So there are truths that scientists, professional working scientists, don't want to face because they can't get a grant to study it, 
and it doesn't fit into their theoretical preconceptions. That is the absolute and complete answer. And it takes somebody like me, who's interested in more than science, and who respects the fact that human experience is richer than our scientific explanations can provide, to take this evidence seriously. There are lots of people like this, like me, and lots of them are not scientists. But the professional scientist who values his or her career is unlikely to make a profession of studying the UFO evidence because it will get him or her nowhere professionally. That's the answer. Wow. It's not in the trade, so to speak. Tell me, Don, what was it, what was it in your life that, you know, here you are, a professor of psychology, McGill University, bang, you're right into the UFO, ET, alien abduction scenario. What was it in your life that turned you towards this phenomenon? Well, first of all, like a lot of people, mm-hmm. I don't have a personal close encounter experience. But at the age of 10, which is quite a while ago, let's not bother to count the years, <laughs> uh, quite a while ago, this stuff began to be popular, that is, widely publicized in the United mm-hmm. States where I lived. Right. And I read the early magazine articles, and they sounded fascinating. Uh, there's something up there. Our pilots chase it. They can't figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. Some people have crashed their airplanes trying to chase them. People say they're weather balloons. That doesn't sound right. In other words, the controversy started when I was young, but of a reading age and of an age to be interested in the world around me. Uh, that interest persisted just as an interest, like we're interested in football or whatever, for many years, until later on I had professional training in studying human perception and memory, which are obviously two highly related fields. I was doing research on those subjects, getting my grants for it, as I just went over this. I was acting as a professional scientist in the accepted manner, and then realized in about 1965 that the evidence that I'd been interested in for many years, I was now professionally competent to evaluate. And there was more and more of it. There have been phases in this where there's a lot of evidence or little evidence. And the 60s, the mid-60s, was a period where there was a lot of evidence. It was coming up all the time on Mm -hmm. the news. And it was constantly being debunked on the news. And I realized at this point that I'm professionally apt at doing this. I have the credentials. I'm also interested. What do I have to lose to taking a professional interest in this because it fits my competences? And so I did. Also, at about that time, a little later, I became a tenured professor in McGill. Now, what does this give you? It gives you something very few humans have. It gives you a guaranteed income as long as you do your work. And that is a rare privilege. If I happen to be running a branch bank, say, in Montreal, and I started talking about UFOs, higher management might look at the branch manager and say, we don't really want to promote him, or we don't really want him in this job. Let's put him back to teller. We won't get in the way of people. Exactly. And so I was privileged not to have to worry about this. I was what you used to call in the 18th century an aristocrat. I had the option and the opportunity to follow my own intellectual inquiries where they led so long as I did my work and behaved myself at McGill, which I always did. So I enjoyed the benefits of an academic career, which I enjoyed thoroughly, the ordinary research, the kind of stuff I published regularly, and the freedom to be interested in other phenomena which were outside the usual kin of a scientific researcher. So I had the best of both worlds, which very few people do, and I'm very grateful to 
the institution of tenure and to McGill University for having given me that opportunity, which I pursued and thoroughly enjoyed. Tell me, during your research into your book and uh, the cases that, that you've studied, is there a common thread between experiencers and abductees? Well, those are difficult terms to define. And I'm not the world's best expert on this. There are people who know a lot more about this than I do. But what I'd say is this. What many cases have in common, I, I've said this before, I'll just repeat it, sure. is a core of remembered experiences. People who have had a remembered close encounter. That is, within a couple of hundred yards, there's a UFO hovering ahead, over the road ahead. The classic Barney and Betty Hill case had this in it. Both of the participants remembered consciously the hovering UFO. Other, the other common core for this is that they also have what's called missing time. Mm -hmm. After the sighting, they don't know what happened for another hour and a half or two. Then they find themselves either back in their car or sitting in their bed wondering what went on or uh, something like that. So when you start with these common experiences, then you have what's almost a detective mystery to solve. What's happened to the multitude of people who all report these common experiences and can't recall what happened for an hour and a half after the close encounter? That's where you begin looking at a common human experience. And to go back to Samuel Johnson, human experience, which is constantly contradicting theory, is the great test of truth. This is a pretty unusual experience. But how do we make sense of it? What researchers have done for the past 20, 30 years, mm -hmm. is they've taken these people seriously. They've sat them down, listened to what they had to say, sometimes just waited for the story to come out as it regains access to consciousness through memory. Sometimes they've worked at it through hypnosis, which is a valuable but tricky tool. And sometimes the corroboration has come spontaneously from people who had a flashback or recalled later what happened to them during that missing, missing time. That's where you reconstruct these stories and put together a common picture. And the common experience, and this has been cited in books other than mine in my own book, which is a secondary source in this case, I've reported what other people have said, the common experience is being taken aboard, subject to some kinds of tests, being in the presence of the usual, and anybody who follows the subject will have heard these phrases before, the usual gray aliens with big black almond-shaped eyes and who probe you and test you and don't tell you much about what's going on, mm -hmm. uh, then treat you basically in some kind of telepathic way to make you do what they want you to do, then eventually tell you it won't hurt or it's for your own good or whatever, and then drop you back off to where you were sometime later, to go about your business and uh, try and connect with the real world, which is what people do. Now, there's a lot more to it than that, but the true experts on this subject are people I know but whose path I have not followed as closely as I have in other, other domains. And you've heard of them, too. David Jacobs, sure. Bud Hopkins, late Bud Hopkins. These are people well-known in the UFO field, and they've done the original work in this area. Let me, ask, let me ask you something here. What is your, as a professor of psychology, what is your take or what is your opinion on hypnosis? Well, interesting you ask. <laughs> You're allowing me to plug the book again. I have an entire chapter on hypnosis or on, on, the hip, on the abduction narrative and how it relates to this. Hypnosis is a very interesting psychological tool. What it amounts to, basically, is relieving people of their current stresses and strains 
by what amounts to talking to them in a soothing and relaxing manner, going through some disciplines of relaxing, muscular relaxation, which puts you in a very receptive and open state. It also frees your current mind from other distractions. You're not thinking about the shopping list. You're not thinking about the kids late for school. You're not thinking about the job report I have to give tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You're basically focused on the present. Your attention is concentrated on the hypnotist's voice, and you're in the immediate present. What that makes possible is a psychological concentration that is rare enough in the world for any of us, and which is exaggerated under hypnosis, when a competent hypnotist can get you to have a little greater access to your deeper memories than you otherwise would. Now, this is both good and bad, because it's quite clear from published research that under these circumstances, you can persuade people that something happened that didn't happen to them. So, you might take somebody who had some fleeting impression that he or she was near a UFO, set them down, go through this process with them, and inculcate into their mind a remembered abduction experience which wasn't there. The terrible thing that happened in the 80s was that a lot of this went on using clinical hypnosis with people who were accused of sexually abusing their children. Now, this is a long and scandalous story in American clinical history back in the 80s when uh, female children, adults, thought that their parents might have abused them, uh, their father particularly. Uh, the father was uh, either arrested or made to go into some kind of therapy for this. A therapist persuaded the father that this had happened. The father pleaded guilty and was sentenced to something that he never did, which came out in later evidence that uh, invalidated the story that the guy told that was inculcated into him. So hypnosis is an extremely tricky and potentially dangerous tool. It can be used both ways. It can be used to eliminate blockages that were produced by fear and terror, mm -hmm. and sometimes evidence about bad things that happened comes out this way. It can also be used in the hands of a either careless or uh, motivated hypnotist to inculcate memories that aren't true. So it is an extremely tricky tool. On the other hand, if used competently and dispassionately, it can elicit memories that have been repressed for reasons that Freud brought out, you know, a century or more ago. People are sometimes uh, afraid of things that happen to them sexually and don't mm -hmm. remember them. That's the classic Freud thing. There's hostility or anger that was expressed to them that they don't want to remember. That can be relieved. Uh, there are other things that are less traumatic in the old Freudian sense, but still could have happened badly, like being part of a genocide and surviving or something like this. These things can be helped by hypnosis. But it is not by itself and in an individual case a totally reliable technique. It's got to be either combined with other information or compiled with other indep independent cases that give you a constant picture. In other words, what you're talking about here is collecting and generating evidence about the abduction side of the UFO phenomenon over multiple witness cases which give similar reports. And that has been done, not by me, but by my colleagues, late uh, Bud Hopkins, David Jacobs, and others, who've gone into this extremely carefully 
with full awareness of the difficulties of the technique and have come out with consistent stories that um, are credible. That's how you do it. Now, I'm not an expert in this. I have never actually recorded an original abduction story, although both my wife and I have listened to people in Mm -hmm. our living room telling highly convincing stories that suggested something like this might happen. These are not people who wanted to pursue it further. They're highly respected members of the community, active in business and civic events, and just didn't want to pursue it. But we heard the what you might call the opening story, but not the finished story. It's the researchers like Hopkins and Jacobs who've gone to the trouble of trying to finish these stories and flesh out the entire picture, which is consistent and matches the story I told you. At least that's the, the clearest part. Sure. But I, but I understand that the person who is doing the hypnosis uh, session can lead a subject into an area for other purposes. For example, for collaboration of events that really didn't happen. Exactly. I just agreed with you. I said that's absolutely possible. Uh, You can make up, you can feed people made up stories, put it plainly. And that was happening back in the 80s with people whose parents were accused of sexual abuse. And some of those stories were turned out later to be uh, induced by the hypnotist, not reflections of reality. It's an extremely dangerous and potentially volatile technique which is why it's so controversial yeah. and why the layperson, the skeptic, mm-hmm. a reasonable skeptic, would say these stories based on hypnosis I don't like because hypnosis is not consistent. Fair enough. There are, there's other evidence that comes out without aided recall, with dreams and flashbacks, with what have you, that's consistent. The key in all of this is recording human experience and finding consistencies in it, not consistencies you've driven it to, mm-hmm. but consistencies that come out naturally. And that is tricky. It's much trickier in the abduction field than it is in just the reporting extraterrestrial UFOs, for obvious reasons. In your opinion, sir, do the so-called investigators, researchers, who, ever since the Internet's become the largest septic tank that man has ever created, <laughs> and, and, you know... I've like never you heard can, anyone describe it as that. That's... that's that's not very polite, but anyway, go well, on. You know, I, I call it as I see it, sir. Because, you know, know. You, you've got so many people going online getting PhDs that they haven't gone through the academia that that real PhDs go through. You know, you, you've got people who go and get doctorates online and reverends, and, and the list goes on and on and on. By the way, my opinion of an online PhD is piled higher and deeper However, you've got these people running around, posing themselves as professional investigators. Is there a danger of what they are doing or what they're trying to do can actually make a situation worse? Because they're non-professionals trying to act as professionals, representing themselves as professionals to people who trust them based on their credentials. Yes, to all of that. And here's the problem. You hit it on the nose. Uh, there are people, there are many people who are interested in this subject. Mm-hmm. Many of them are well-intentioned and interested in the subject and are also willing to believe almost everything. And they, how shall I put it, um, are trying to contribute 
as well-intentioned as they are, but are probably adding more noise to the situation than not. My business, as I see it, is not to convince the easy to convince, because the world is full mm-hmm. of people who are relatively ready to believe almost anything that's exciting or interesting, right. because it adds a little spice to life. Now, there are lots of things like that. Uh, baseball games, football, the lotto, what have, it, what have you. The difficulty in this field in particular is to convince the hard to convince. And they're not going to be persuaded by the evidence presented by a person who's earned an online doctorate. I, and I, that's, how shall I put it? That's, that's not very generous of me to say, because I have a real one, but it's also true. Yeah. And what there is is there's a lot of noise in the world. You That's described right. it as the largest septic tank in existence. What you're saying is that you can't believe everything you read or hear That's or right. see on the yeah. Internet. And you're right. Yeah. The Internet is uh, something new in human experience. It's a wide-open communications channel that anybody can enter and anybody can take away from. So it has no standards whatsoever. We have to provide standards, but the person who comes to this area not knowing much about it, and starts looking at it, sees more noise mm-hmm. than signal in the old technical sense. Now, I have in, in lectures I give a marvelous slide, and I'll flip through my book here to see if I can find it. It's not in the book. It's in some lectures I gave. It shows a picture of a woman who looks like Hillary Clinton, and the headline in the National Enquirer is, Hillary Clinton Adopts Alien Baby. Now, this is noise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not <laughs> likely to be true. And the story, this is an well, old... Well, I don't, I don't know. You never know with Bill. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't an alien baby, just one of Bill's. Or, or, e- anyway. e- either that or it was Monica Lewinsky dressed up as an alien. Well, there we go. You see, <laughs> now we're in the realm of speculation. But the point is that speculation will get you nowhere. That's It'll right. get you shaking the head in disbelief by people who need to take what they think seriously and have so much input because they're managing companies or managing universities or managing radio stations or managing television stations right. that they need help in sorting the wheat from the chaff. And that's a very hard thing to do. I'm glad you recognize that. Don, please stand by, sir. You and I have to take a commercial break. By the way, sure. I'm from Montreal. I love Montreal. My parents live on, in Chambly on the South Shore. My brother, oh, right. no kidding. Yeah, my brother lives in uh, La Salle, so you oh, know. Okay. And I, and I used to hang around the McGill Ghetto when I was a teenager. So, I love Montreal. Don, please stand by. By the way, we were talking about good intentions before, and as we all know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> Don and I will be back on the other side of this short commercial break as we continue here in the X Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the Starcom Radio Network. And don't forget, the Ed Till Show, Monday through Friday, from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m., right here on Starcom. My name is Rob McConnell. We'll be back on the other side of these breaks. Don't go away.
Cosmic Expo will be held in Brantford, Ontario, June 26, 27, 28, and will feature 24 internationally acclaimed experts and researchers of UFOs, crop circles, alien abductions, and much more in this three-day 2015 summer Canadian event. Experts in the field of extraterrestrials and alien encounters, out-of-body experiences, past life regression, soul reading, psychic and mediumship will all be presented with professionalism, integrity, and credibility, making the Alien Cosmic Expo the largest event of its kind in Canada for 2015. The Exhibitor Hall will feature a spectacular lineup of gifted mediums, psychics, astrologers, channelers, aura photography, healers, as well as books, DVDs, alternative health products, crystals, jewelry, and much more completing the venue with something for everyone. For all information and to purchase your tickets for the Alien Cosmic Expo, go to www.aliencosmicexpo.com. That's www.aliencosmicexpo.com. What if someone told you you could live to be 120? Would you believe him? What if he told you the Bible guaranteed it? All you needed to do was follow his rules and buy his products. Would you do it? What if you invested 20 years of your life in him? What if he tested his substances on your child? What if your child became brain damaged as a result? Meet Dr. Tyler Belknap, a fast-talking Texas admin turned health guru. At the helm of a vast health food and supplement empire, he has established himself as the authority on nutrition and longevity. But what his followers don't know is that his products are laced with bizarre psychoactive substances from genetically modified plants developed in his very own secret lab. No wonder his customers can't stop using them. Tyler Belknap will stop at nothing to keep his edge in the market, even if it means experimenting on children. Chasing 120, a story of food, faith, fraud, and the pursuit of longevity, a novel from the pen of political cartoonist Monty Wolverton, is an easy and entertaining read full of rich characters and intrigue. It hits home in a world filled with all kind of hucksterism and offers a glimpse of what can happen when GMO technology falls into the wrong hands. Chasing 120 by Monty Wolverton. Get your copy today at www.ptm.org forward slash 120 or on Amazon.com. Have you exhausted all traditional means of healing without success? Are you experiencing communications through ghosts, angels, or even extraterrestrials and want to validate these experiences? Or would you simply like to speak with someone who can help you find your life's purpose? I'm Dr. Joseph Mara, and I'm offering my services to humanity at this time through consultations. These consultations include angel card readings, guided meditations, life coaching, and energy healing. If you desire clarity of what may appear to be unexplainable phenomenon, then contact me through my website at agodinglight, spelled L-I-T-E, dot com, to schedule your consultation today. Until then, I offer you love, light, and laughter.
children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an 8-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. Hi, this is Eric Rawls of Cosmoverse.com, and you're listening to Rob McConnell in the Exum. Hi, this is Blade Runner, and you are listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, I'm Laura Sabrin of Cease to Fields Organic Vineyard in Jordan, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Hi, my name is Lady Ashley, the White Witch of Niagara-on-the-Lake, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal talk radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is The X-Zone. I am Rob McConnell. You're listening to us around the world on Starcom Radio Network, www.starcomradionetwork.com. Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. until 5 p.m., the Ed Till Show, radio at its best. This guy is a legend. Give him a listen. He's addictive. Listen to a show once and you're hooked for life. That's the Ed Till Show, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m., right here on the Starcom Radio Network. Today is Thursday, May 20th, 2015, and uh, let's see, some of the significant events on today's date include, uh, in 1431, Joan of Arc accused of relapsing back into heresy by donning male clothing again. Hey, she'd fit right in, uh, you know, providing justification for her execution. Boy, can you imagine our, day, our modern day society back then? Oh! Ah, so much for your, your civil rights, eh, guys? Uh, 1588, Spanish Armada under the Duke of Medina, Sedona, departs Lisbon to invade England. In 1830, the U.S. Congress authorizes Indian removal from all states to Western Prairie. 1936, Alan Turing submits on computable numbers for publication in which he sets out the theoretical basis for modern computers. That's going back to 1936. And everyone will remember this. Remember Tricky Dicky Nixon? Well, it was this date in 1972 that the White House plumbers break into the Democratic National Headquarters at a Watergate. That's just some of the events for today in history. Thursday, well, it wasn't Thursday on those dates, but May the 28th. Wow, just imagine that. Joan of Arc accused of relapsing into heresy by donning male clothing again. I'm not going to touch that one. We're just going to let that go. Uh, we're talking about UFOs, ETs, and alien abductions this hour. My guest is uh, Dr. Don Donnery. He is a 
retired professor of psychology from one of the most eminent universities in the world in my hometown, Montreal McGill University. And uh, he's got a book entitled UFOs, ETs, and Alien Abductions, A Scientist Looks at the Evidence. Don, it's always great talking to you. Um, You know, when it comes to credibility within this genre, you, my friend, are at the very top. Well, I have other good friends up here, too, and I'm very grateful for their company and for yours, for, for, having, for talking to us. I oh, much appreciate it. It's always my great pleasure. Um, Don, the people that you spoke to in your book, I understand there were six UFO abduction cases. What were the, what were the circumstances surrounding their abductions? Were they, were they all the same? Were they different? Well, here's the interesting thing about this part of my book. It is based on the research of other people. And I'm very, of course, I cite all this in the Mm -hmm. book. Each of these cases was thoroughly, actually six cases, many more than six people. Each case was thoroughly investigated by another competent UFO and abduction researcher. The very first case is one that everybody knows in the background because our culture is full of these ideas, even though n- not everyone knows how to deal with them. Barney and Betty Hill, yeah. the biracial couple that was abducted by a UFO in 1961 in northern New Hampshire, whose story was presented in a book published in 65, another book in 07, made a movie, and is widely known as part of what you might call our background of UFO and abduction consciousness. That's number one. That case was investigated by several people, including a woman who was, at the time when this happened, a young niece of Betty Hill named Kathleen Martin, yes. who's written about the book, and along with a colleague of mine, Stanton Friedman, made a very good second book following an excellent first book written by a guy named John Fuller called, um, gosh, what was it called? Sorry, he did Incident at Exeter, and then he did, um, um, uh, the, gosh, what is it, Lost Journey or Missing Time or something like that, and that was Bud Hopkins' book. At any rate, he wrote the first book about it, she wrote the second book about mm-hmm. it. Both books were thoroughly researched, and these people are competent researchers. I should yes, add, sir. by the way, and this is a comment on what you said, you were very kind about the fact that I have a real, quote, PhD, and some other people have what you might call... Um, bargain basement PhD. There are lots of people in this lots of people in this field mm-hmm. who don't have any advanced degree who do very good work. I agree. Capable people. I agree. It doesn't require the credential on the wall to do a good job. It requires interest, common sense and honesty. And a lot of people have that without the fancy degree. And Barney well, uh, John Fuller was a journalist, met those qualifications fully. Um Kathleen Martin, I think, has a social work degree, met yes. those qualifications. I've, I've had the pleasure of having Kathleen on the show, uh, Stanton That's, Friedman, you know. I call him the grandfather mm-hmm. of ufology, for goodness sake. He basically is. Yeah, yes. you know. He's a classmate of mine, as I'm sure you know. Yes. He and I were at University of Chicago at the same time. He's a little older than I am, but he's definitely, at this stage, the grandfather of psychology, because he's about the oldest surviving member of the tribe, so to speak. And... Um, yeah, yeah, so there are lots of good people, some there of whom are. have scientific backgrounds, some of whom don't. And, and, uh, but I'll tell you something. A lot of those friend. cases, the cases, the other cases were, were investigated by people like Ray Fowler yeah. and, uh, and uh, Walter Webb and, um, as I said, Kathleen Martin and uh, Stanton Friedman and John Fuller and uh, others. And there is a competent core of people out there who've been following this seriously. Yeah. 
and whose contributions to the field build on the accumulated solid evidence that we've got. However, based on my experience of doing this show for 24 years now with over 3,800 interviews, there are the wackadoodle crowd out there within the UFO community. And I'm not going to name names, but I'll give you an example. I had a guest on a couple of years ago. And uh, he was contacted by a person who believed they were being abducted by aliens on a regular basis. So he goes to their house, he meets the lady, and uh, he said that he invented a UFO alien repulsion unit. And ever since he put that unit on the lady's property, she has never been abducted by aliens again. So I said to him, being the curious person I am, how did you make it? And he said, well, all I did was I went to Canadian Tire and I got myself a battery and I got myself some wire and a couple of red lights and I just point them up in the sky and the aliens, they've never come again. Hey, that sounds like it could be on Saturday Night Live, eh? Hey, don't you know? <laughs> you, don't you know, eh? Anyway, yeah. what can I say? Uh, and, I, then, take, and then, yeah. Don, you've got the people that walk around with tin foil on their head because they don't want the aliens probing their minds. Yes, I know. And I and I feel and they should put the tin foil over their butt because the aliens would have a better chance trying to probe that than their brain if they're actually wearing <laughs> tin foil. The problem is this is such a emotionally wired topic. Yeah. That it wires up a lot of people whose common sense is less strong than their willingness to believe. And you have to have a certain willingness to suspend judgment to be interested in this in the first place. I've just gone over uh, in the last part of the show mm-hmm. the fact that professional scientists whose business is to deal with a very narrow part of human experience that can be sliced, diced, and put into a test tube, metaphorically or, real, or really, mm-hmm. don't want to deal with these broad aspects of human experience that are hard to classify, require incredible care not to mix up with fantasy, and eventually, and and for people whose trade is to do something that they get support for, it's very hard to do this um, and retain the respect of your colleagues. On the other side, there are many of us whose personality characteristics uh, predispose us Mm -hmm. to be interested in exotica and not to be too closely tied to reality and this is not to disparage these people there are many of us like that we live with them they live with us they we share the same communities but we don't have to share the same belief systems that's right and we also have a higher standard of proof even in the ufo field than they do and that's something that i insist on Uh, i quoted at the beginning of this uh, interview The Samuel Johnson uh, quote about human experience uh, being the constant test of truth, which is constantly contradicting theory being a common test of truth. But the human experience has to be verified, documented, and collected. And people who go off without enough of it and with credulity don't help at all. They add to the noise. I mean, it's a free world. They can say and believe and Mm -hmm. talk to whom they like. It just makes it harder for the rest of us because there are no professional standards for studying UFOs. I can't go to an accreditation board as I could if I were a clinical psychologist and say, certify me as a UFO researcher. 
I'd be laughed out of court. Uh, there is no such well, thing. Sure. The people, the people who do this are taking on a very complicated aspect of human experience, all by themselves, without professional guidance other than mm-hmm. common sense and a certain stability, but an openness to experience that many people, for good reason, don't have. If you're a bank manager, as I said, you can't be open to this experience and keep your clients, at least not publicly. If you're a psychologist and you're trying to get tenure and you need to get research grants, you're not about to publish a paper on UFOs, and so forth and so on. So it's a rare person, and I happen to be lucky that way, as I said, because I had tenure, I was interested, and I kept on doing my professional work. That makes it, if not easy, at least manageable. But for somebody who's somebody who's not well-situated in the world, let's put it that way and be euphemistic about that, it's easier to have an, a loose and open mind because you have very little to lose. If, you, if you're well-situated in the world, whatever that means, mm-hmm. you have a lot more to risk when you open your mouth about UFOs, and in a sensible way even. So it's a complicated business, and it's very it sure easy to get this into popular culture, and it's very hard to get it taken seriously in what, for lack of a better word, I call elite culture. And the elite reject it. It's one thing that's frightening. You know, I, I, I give a lot of laurels to both Heather and Joanne, the organizers of the Alien Cosmos Expo that's happening in Brantford, Ontario, mm-hmm. you know, the 26th, 27th, 28th right. of June. They have brought together, in my opinion, a credible group of people, 24 speakers, who believe, who make sense, who are willing to share and explain to to the people that they are going to be having at their their uh, expo, expo. And this is rare because I I used to go to all the different alien expos and and it came to a point where the wackadoodles were getting to me. <laughs> you know, it was okay. it was that bad. And then when I heard about Joanne and uh, Heather's expo and I saw who was going there and who the speakers were and I've had you on the show before, Stanton Friedman. I've had him on the, sh- the radio show. We did a TV segment with him. Michael Horn. I know Michael Telstar. Dr. Georgina Cannon. have a lot of respect for her. It was like, finally, somebody is bringing a group of people together to help those who have questions, those who believe they have experienced uh, either a UFO sighting or um, have believe they've been abducted by aliens to try and help and you know hats off to them and hats off to you for being part of this great thing well thank you i'm looking forward to going there and i haven't met many of the people you're describing and i'll be interested to do so that's that's a very positive outlook for me heading out there on the 27th or 26th what are you going to be talking about uh at the expo well, I think the title is pretty much the one. What have, I've forgotten what I gave as the title. Uh, but what I'll probably you you can tell me <laughs> probably got in the program in front of you. Let's see, I it's don't. UFOs, it, ETs, and alien abductions. <laughs> okay, it's the same title. As the book. <laughs> that gives me freedom to talk about what I like. <laughs> I will probably take an approach that I and now I'm showing off a little bit of a talk I gave at Nuffield College in Oxford uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the title of that talk was Abnormal Psychology, Normal Science, and the UFO Evidence. And what I'll probably talk about under Mm -hmm. that general rubric is how this fits into the worldview 
that we're provided by science and how that's explained by abnormal psychology. And what I'll point out, and I'm not the only one to have pointed this out, is that, as I said just a few minutes ago, taking this seriously for people who are in responsible positions in the world, and I don't mean me or you, I mean people who are responsible for national defense right. or uh, whatever, people who have serious administrative responsibilities for public safety and security and government, taking this seriously for them is difficult. Because, as my wife said to me, I was using another word at the time, this renders them helpless. What do you do about it? You and I, and as far as I know, nobody else, I may be wrong about this, don't know what to deal about, how to deal with interlopers who can come and pick us up and drop us off when they choose, who have gone into messing with our minds, to put it plainly, in mm -hmm. ways that we haven't had a chance to discuss on this uh, program at any great length, and who basically do it in the absence of any defense. If this were, let's put it plainly, if Americans were coming across the border and kidnapping Canadians and then returning them uh, a week later or two hours later even, mm -hmm. with impunity, there would be an international scandal. But this is happening from above, and there is no governing agency, either local or regional or international, that can do anything about it. And for people who who are responsible for our well-being, this is a serious challenge they don't want to face. And I'm not the person who pointed this out. Two political science professors, Alexander Vent and Raymond Duval, wrote an article about this in a very good UFO book published in 2010 by Leslie Keene. You may have had her on the program. You may know about the book. It's called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Public Officials Go on the Record. Yeah. And they, they presented an argument, which is just the argument I've repeated, that the reason the idea is rejected or kept at arm's length by responsible public officials is that, taken seriously, this undermines their responsibilities to us, and they don't know what to do about it. And Don, that's just too frightening to deal with. Don, we've run out of time for tonight, but I will be looking forward to meeting you in person in Brantford at the Alien Cosmic Expo, June 26, 27, 28th. My many thanks for coming on the show and for the great work that you do. Um, my pleasure. How can, our, how can our listeners learn more about you, and where can they purchase your book? They can purchase the book either online as a Kindle or a Nook from Amazon or Barnes & Noble, mm -hmm. so they can get it in paperback, I hope, from most local bookstores. Don, take care of yourself, safe travels, and uh, once again, I look forward to meeting you and having you back on the show to continue this very interesting topic. Thank you. See you in a month or so. All right. Take care of yourself, Don. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you. Exonation. What a great guy. Dr. Don Dondary. He's going to be at the Alien Cosmic Expo in Brantford, Ontario, June 26, 27, 28, as we will. That's right. The Exxon Radio TV show is going to be there. And once again, if Joanne and Heather are listening, ladies, you've done a great job in this organization of this very unique Canadian Alien Cosmic Expo. I'll be back on the other side of this uh, break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the Starcom Radio Network. Don't go away now. I'm not a Starfleet commander <laughs> or 
T.J. Hooker. I don't live on Starship NCC-170 or own a phaser. I don't know anyone named Bones, Sulu, or Spock. And no, I've never had green alien sex. But I'm sure it'd be quite an evening. I speak English. And French. Not Klingon. I drink Labatt's, not Romulan ale. And when someone says to me, live long and prosper, I seriously mean it when I say get a life. My doctor's name is not McCoy, it's Ginsburg. And tribbles were puppets, not real animals. Puppets! And when I speak, I never ever talk like every word is its own. it becomes increasingly obvious that we live in uncertain and challenging times. We all buy car insurance. Why not collapse and catastrophe insurance? Matthew Stein, an MIT-trained engineer and green builder, has written two outstanding books to help people prepare, plan for, and deal with everything from minor situations lasting a few days to full-on collapse. Matt's first book, When Technology Fails, is a manual for self-reliance, sustainable living, and surviving the long emergency. This massive book covers the gamut from first aid and emergency preparedness to alternative healing, 
renewable energy, primitive living skills, and 18th century technologies that could be critical to your comfort and survival in a long-lasting crisis. Matt's second book, When Disaster Strikes, is a comprehensive emergency preparedness handbook and survival guide. When Disaster Strikes is an essential item for every family's go-bag. Both books are available at all usual sources. There's a wealth of totally free information posted at whentechfails.com and author signed copies may be purchased at mattstein.com. That's www.whentechfails.com and www.mattstein.com. Are you considering calling a psychic to read your situation? Then consider David Champion, a psychic medium for more than 20 years with thousands of ratings under his belt. David Champion will make you feel comfortable. He has proven to be honest and accurate. He's a straight shooter. There's no guesswork. What he sees is what you get. While he is a medium, most of the calls focus on relationships, not only love, but work, school, neighbors, and more. Need help with finding a job and preparing for the interview? Are you dealing with people who are obstacles in your path? For more information, go to davidchampion.com, $1.50 per minute, paid by credit card, with a minimum of 30 minutes. For your reading with David Champion, call one 702 8598 That's one 702 8598 Little children.